Welcome to this week's message. We hope you enjoy this teaching from Pastor Chris Dirksen, the Executive Pastor here at Southland Church. For more information about this message and other resources, visit MySouthland.com. So we're going to do uh, Romans chapter 6 today, the first 14 verses, and uh, carrying on in our Romans series here. And so I'm just going to read it, and then we'll pray, and then, uh, and then we'll get into it. What shall we say then? This is Paul speaking. Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? So we've, we've done, you know, the first five chapters of Romans, and so far the last uh, few messages we've preached in Romans, this powerful uh, message about justification by faith, that you can't earn it, you can't work for it, this, this unmerited, this, this gift, this incredible gift that God has given us. And now Paul's speaking to that, and he says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? So there's this incredible gift out there, and uh, can we now take advantage of it? Is, is, there a, is it, you know, in a sinful way? And then he says, by no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. There's some really amazing stuff in this chapter. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey their passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under the law, but under grace. Dear Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for the gift of justification. We thank you for your, your unbelievable, infinite grace to us. And we thank you for this letter to the Romans. Jesus, now as we're together today, there's so many people here, Lord. Many people here bringing physical ailments, other people bringing family and relational things. But Jesus, you are Lord of all. And even in this message about sin and your power and resurrection, Jesus, there is a message of hope for every person here, no matter what the burden is we're carrying with us. I pray, Holy Spirit, that for those who are here this morning who are carrying particularly heavy burdens, that you would lighten those burdens, that you would give hope, and that you would touch all of us by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. So coming out of this, all this amazing justification stuff, Paul asks the question, is, it, is sin no big deal? That's essentially his question. People were asking it back in his day already. People are asking it today. If justification is so amazing, and it's not based on our works, and it's all based on Jesus, it's such a great thing, and if we were, you know, and, and good people with good hearts, you know, if we, were, if, we, if we were not tainted and perverted by our sin natures, the proper response to the gift of justification would be, uh, loving gratitude, to fall down on our knees before Jesus in gratitude and just say, thank you, Jesus, for the gift of justification. 
Thank you for forgiving our sins, forgiving us our sins, and then we would throw ourselves wholeheartedly into serving him, into ministering for him, into loving him. But human nature being what it is, that isn't our response so often. Isn't that true? So in light of this gift, I mean, when you look at what justification is, he just forgave everything you ever did, promises to forgive if you repent anything you will ever do, and puts you in right standing with God, not based on any effort you can do. It's such an amazing gift. Really, again, the only appropriate response is fall on your knees, wow, and give your life wholeheartedly every single bit of it to just loving and serving him. But again, we don't do that so often, do we? And because we're twisted, our sin nature, our selfish nature, instead the tendency is to want to abuse the gift. Isn't that true? And I mean, all of us at various times do this. But isn't it true? We look at that gift and instead of, you know, weeping and saying, Lord Jesus, I can't believe what you've given me and now I'm going to use every second of the rest of my life as is yours. You own me. That would be a pro appropriate response. But instead... Our selfish nature, we look at the gift and we go, that is an amazing gift. Now, how can I have that gift and still keep running my life at the same time? Isn't it true? Isn't that how we so often do it? We want to we take the justification gift. We want to take being right with God, being put on a pathway to heaven, being in right standing with God and all that sort of stuff so we don't have to feel guilt any longer. We want to take all the benefits. We want to take them, but instead of giving our lives to Jesus... We want to, okay, I love that, Jesus. That is such a good gift, but I also really like running my own life. And I want to marry those two things together. I want to be justified. I want to be right in right standing with God. And at the same time, I want to I be in charge of my life. I want to live a, a worldly, complacent life, okay? And that kind of attitude is not new. Like I said, it was in Paul's day already, and that's why Paul starts off chapter 6 asking this question, what shall we say then in response to this gift? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? In other words, is it now not a big deal because his grace is so amazing, his forgiveness is so amazing, it's not based on what we do? Does that basically mean now we can sin and it's not a big deal? We can live in complacency and worldliness and it's not a big deal because it's not based on what we do and he just forgives us anyway. And of course, there's a whole host of teaching nowadays that is exactly geared to that, that kind of a grace message. You go to any Christian bookstore today, and this is not a criticism of Christian bookstores. They have many good books in them too. I, you know, I love Christian bookstores. But you go to any Christian bookstore today, and you will find that many of the top-selling books and authors exactly preach this kind of a grace message where they take the grace message to a point where Christians can now become comfortable in sin. And is that what the gift of justification is all about? Certainly we've talked about how because of justification, I now no longer have to go through my life with this heavy burden of guilt weighing me down. So we throw off the burden of guilt, but then does that mean we can now comfortably remain in our sins? Does that mean I can be comfortable in a complacent lifestyle? Can I be comfortable in a sinless, sinful, worldly lifestyle? And that is not what the grace message does. It does relieve the burden of guilt, but it does not make it okay to live in complacency and sin. And yet that is what so much of the message is today, that it no longer matters how much you sin because God only ever sees you as pure and holy no matter what you do. There's many people teaching now that God no longer punishes or disciplines sin. 
They'll say that Christians no longer need to confess their sins. They'll say that praying and fasting and going to war with sinful habits is all works-based Christianity. And there's this whole message out there. And again, like I said, it was alive and well already in Paul's day, which is why Paul asks this question. Okay? And I think part of the reason this happens, there's two levels. There's really two levels at which this sort of perverted, twisted form of grace comes in. And one is sort of the overt level where, like, literally Christians want to uh, excuse explicitly sinful lifestyles. And that is done. Basically just say it's all, it's, all, it's all forgiven at the cross anyway. As long as I believe in Jesus, I'm okay. I would say that's more the minority of people, that overt. But I think there's a second level at which this happens. And the second level at which this happens is, I think, one that has captured tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of Christians here in North America. And what it basically is, is that many Christians have fallen in love with justification or salvation, whatever you want to call it. A lot of Christians maybe wouldn't use the word justification. But we've, we're, many, many Christians in our country, in our culture, have fallen in love with salvation rather than falling in love with Jesus. There's a subtle difference there, but there's actually a huge difference where that ends up and how you live. But I think, and I just want to say it again, I think many thousands of Christians in our culture have fallen in love with the gift of salvation, the gift of justification, this idea that I'm going to heaven, that Jesus has forgiven all my sins, I don't need to feel guilty anymore. They've fallen in love with the gift rather than the giver. And that makes a huge difference in how you live your life after See, if you fall in love with the gift, if you fall in love with justification rather than the giver of justification, Jesus, here's how you're going to live. You're going to live a complacent Christian lifestyle because you haven't fallen in love with the one who's going to inflame your heart and make you want to seek him all out. You fall in love with the gift, the idea of going to heaven and having your sins forgiven. So what you get when you fall in love with the gift is you get a Christian who goes to church every week and basically wants to live a decent life and believes right things about Jesus. But when it comes down to actually putting Jesus on the throne of your life where seven days a week I am living all out for Jesus, that Christian looks at you and says, that's legalistic. It's legalistic to go that crazy about Jesus. I don't need to do that because I've been justified by faith. And now you use justification as a justification. I just thought about that right just now. <laughs> I hope I remember it in the second service. Um, but now justification becomes a justification for complacency. Jesus has forgiven me, and I'm so pumped about that, and I'm going to heaven, and it's not based on works, and therefore I can be comfortable living a decent life, but basically running my own life. And I can be comfortable in sinful habits. I can be comfortable in being selfish. I can be comfortable in doing things my way and not giving my whole life to wholeheartedly serve Jesus because I have been utterly and absolutely forgiven. Now, here's the thing. If you would fall in love with Jesus as opposed to justification, you would never want to live that way. You would never just want to do the bare minimum. I mean, imagine in my marriage with LaDawn. I love LaDawn, Okay. Imagine if I just wanted to get away with the bare minimum, okay? If I just want to sit down and figure out, what's the bare minimum I can do that will still be married and she won't leave me, but I can basically hold on to kind of a, my own life. I can do my own things all the time. I can live for myself, and I can enjoy myself, but still stay married. 
See, in a relationship like that, I've fallen in love with the idea of being married. I haven't fallen in love with my wife. And it totally changes how I treat her, doesn't it? But if I fall in love with my wife and I really love her, it absolutely changes it because I'm no longer looking to just do the minimum to stay married. What I really want to do is I want to love her. And my heart, that's, this is what love does to you, is your heart is inflamed. And you're thinking of things. How can I serve her? How can I make her happy? How can I make her life better? How can I encourage her? It's a totally different kind of living if I love my wife, not just marriage. It's a totally different kind of life if you love Jesus, not just the gift of salvation. When you fall in love with Jesus, now, I don't want to just get by. I want to go wholehearted. I want to serve him. That's what I signed up for. And I'm thankful for justification because that means when I mess up, I'm not going to hell. Thank you, Jesus. I'm so thankful for justification. I'm so thankful I don't have to walk around with guilt. And I'm just pursuing you harder because I'm so madly in love with you. I'm thankful for justification, but I'm in love with Jesus. But many Christians today are in love with salvation, trying to do the bare minimum. And if anybody challenges them to do more than the bare minimum, that's legalism because they haven't fallen in love with Jesus. And so the question Paul asks is basically, you know, can we just continue? Now that we've gotten saved and we've got this amazing gift, can we just do the bare minimum? Can we continue in sin? Can we continue in worldliness? Um, because grace abounds. God's grace is so good. And the fact that you can even ask that question or want to ask that question shows that you've missed the whole point of what salvation is. And so what Paul is going to do in the rest of this chapter is he's going to show us a radical new picture of what salvation is is. Salvation is not just signing up, and I've said this a hundred times, and I'll say it another 10,000 times before I'm dead and I'm done here. But salvation is not just signing up to believe in Jesus. Even the demons do that. That's what it says in James. Even the demons believe in God and shudder. They're not saved. But Christianity is not just signing up to believe in Jesus, and then I'm going to go to church, and now I get to go to heaven. Christianity is, is when you make that decision. Yes, it's not based on works. You can never earn it. You can never make it happen by your own goodness, by your own trying so hard. But there's a decision. When you give your life to Jesus, it's not just saying, I believe that you're God, and I want you to forgive my sins. There's actually something more involved in that decision. And when you realize what that decision is, it changes the whole perspective of what salvation is, and it takes this question out of the equation. So, let's keep going. Verse 2. Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means, how can we who died to sin still live in it? Now, First of all, whoa, whoa, whoa. Who said anything about death? When, when, when you got led to Jesus, did anyone tell you that you were signing up for death? Because I'll tell you how we usually talk about salvation is it's all about life. And, praise God, there's a lot of life in salvation. Okay? And there's eternal life coming and there's eternal life now. Amen. But the way salvation is being preached is producing a certain kind of Christian that's in love with justification instead of Jesus in our culture. And that is we are preaching an incomplete gospel. In some cases, we're preaching an outright false gospel, which is we're telling people, get saved so Jesus can make your life better. First of all, that part is false. Jesus never promised to make your life here on earth better. In fact, if we read in the Bible, he pretty much made everybody, in terms of on this earth, he pretty much made everybody's life worse. 
I got a book right now this thick about how all the apostles died martyr deaths. Like just hideous stuff. And he pretty much made their lives on earth, in terms of comfort and wealth and enjoying this lifetime, he pretty much made all their lives worse. But we're telling people, get saved, and Jesus will make everything better. Now, there's many things he does make better. When you actually follow him, and he changes your life, and you're not in bondage, there are certainly ways, and the, those disciples went joyfully to their deaths because of the joy and love they knew inside. There's certainly life. I'm not saying it's all bad, but in terms of the outward. We're telling people, get saved so you can have your sins forgiven and so that God can help you with your marriage and help you with this and help you with that and just basically make your life better. But we're not telling people that when you make the decision to get saved, you're not just signing up, forgive my sins, and I believe in you. You are actually signing up to die. So Paul says, how can you who died to sin... Like, you're actually signing up. So the question was, can we continue living in sin now that we've got this amazing gift of justification? Paul says, it doesn't even make sense. Because you didn't get the gift in order to sin. You had to die to sin in order to get the gift. That was the choice you made. And a lot of Christians don't realize this. So we keep going. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? There's a lot of death in this chapter, by the way, just to warn you. Like, Paul is, he, we don't talk about salvation this way. That's why I said it's a radical new paradigm for what a lot of Christians in our culture think. Pause. I just have to stop for a moment. This is why so many Christians get disillusioned. And the reason they're disillusioned is because their life still stinks. So my life stinks. This has happened, this has happened. God hasn't answered my prayer, and blah, 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 blah. And I don't like this, and I don't like that, and it's been going on for years. And they have this idea that life is supposed to be happy and good here on earth for us who walk with Jesus. But when you gave your life to Jesus, you were baptized into his death. Dead people don't have rights. Dead people do not go through life like it's an amusement park. Woohoo! As much fun as I can possibly have. Dead people don't get fun, really fun, until they get resurrected in eternity. But at, at salvation, you were giving your life to Jesus, it's death. You died to sin and you were baptized into Christ's death. Have you thought about how Christ lived and the fact that you were baptized into that kind of death? How did Jesus live his whole life for the Father? My food is through the will of him who sent me. And then he did that will even when people hated him, when they mocked him, and then he went to the cross and died for our sins so that we wouldn't have to die for our own sins. So here's the thing. He got us off the hook for dying for our own sins. He didn't get us off the hook of having to die to our sins. And now we get baptized into his death, which means we get baptized into a life of dying. We get baptized into a life of dying. And again, we should not be too surprised at this. It's not the first time we've seen it in the Bible. Jesus said this to his followers right from the beginning. Matthew 16, I'll just take you and show you a couple of verses there. Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after him, me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. This is part of salvation. And let's also remember that back when Jesus said this, the cross was not a nice symbol that you picked up in Christian bookstores. See, we, I mean, 2,000 years of the symbol of the cross... And it's, this, it's become this like nice thing that we feel good when we hold it, when we look at it. We put it all over on stuff. And we should. I love the symbol of the cross. It's super important. We have one on the outside of the building here, a big one. 
not against the symbol be, having a special place in our hearts. But what we have to remember is if you go back 2,000 years when Jesus said this, he, they weren't thinking of a nice little trinket you pick up in a Christian bookstore. When Jesus said, pick up your cross and follow me, they all went, oh, what are you? That's offensive. That's disgusting. Because the cross wasn't a nice symbol when Jesus talked about it. It's become a nice symbol now because of Jesus. But when Jesus said this to his disciples, a cross was a hideous instrument of torture and oppression. Okay, I don't, I don't even think we have an equivalent now. Like maybe 100 years ago, the electric chair or something, but that's not even torturous really, I guess. Oh, I don't, not that I really know, okay? I won't make any more comments about that. I'm going to get in trouble. It was gross. It was, it was oppressive. It was torturous. It was disgusting. They'd all seen people hanging on crosses that the Romans had done it. It was, a, it was something to be angry about, to be disgusted at, to be afraid of. It was gross. And Jesus said, if you want to follow me, you have to pick up your cross and follow me. What? What kind of a life is that? For, then he goes on to say this, whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake, will find it. And here's the paradoxical thing about the kingdom of heaven and about Jesus. Life comes out of dying. Life comes out of death. See, in a lot of Christians today who have fallen in love with the gift of salvation rather than the giver of salvation, what they've lost sight of is they think, he died, I don't have to, so I can get life from him. And it's true. His death brought us life. What we don't realize is to really enact that life in our lives, we too must die. Not die for our sins, but die to our sins and to ourselves. And as long as you remain on the throne of your life, as long as you want to have the gift and be king of your life too, you'll never experience eternal life inside. You can be a Christian. You can believe all the right doctrines. You can go to church every single week and still not know joy or love or peace or the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. And I know this is true because how many tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of Christians are living just like that in our culture today? They're Christians. They've been Christians for years. And they go to church, and they believe all the right things, and there's these incredible truths in the book of Romans, but they don't experience any of them. Why is that? It's like a dead thing in them. And the reason it's a dead thing in them is because they thought they could sign up to have the gift of salvation and continue to run their own lives at the same time, and it doesn't work that way. In order for you to experience the gift and take hold of the gift, you too must die. You too must die, and Jesus must be put on the throne of your life. You cannot separate forgiveness from this choice to die. I want to say that again. You cannot separate this gift of forgiveness from the choice to die. You go to Jesus and say, I want you to forgive my sins. He says, 100%. But you have to give me your life. See, there's a sense in which salvation is free. It's free because you can't earn it. You can't deserve it. It doesn't matter how good you are. You can't work it up on your own. In that sense, salvation is free. There's another sense in which salvation is most certainly not free. You must give up your life in order to receive it. 
Does that make sense? You come to Jesus and you're carrying these dirty, filthy, poisonous rags, your sin nature, diseased to the core. And you say, I want you to forgive me. And he says, absolutely, I'm going to give you a new nature. I'm going to give you new clothes. But you have to give me those ones. You can't continue. You can't say, just put it on top. See, a lot of Christians today, they're wearing salvation and grace like a blanket over their old life. It can't work that way. So what they have is, this is what grace is for a lot of Christians. It's what tucks them into bed at night and makes them feel okay about the future because they're going to heaven. But meanwhile, the whole day they lived up to that point, they lived for themselves, by themselves, with no thought given to serving Jesus or to loving him wholeheartedly. But now I put on grace and salvation like a blanket over top of my old life. Jesus says that, Paul says, that is not what salvation is. It's not a blanket over top of your old life. It's an exchange. You give up your old life. And now you receive a new life. And so the question, can I continue in complacency and sin in order to take real advantage of this gift of justification doesn't even make sense because you can't be justified. Salvation isn't that. Salvation is, there's two roads. You were on a road to hell and this road is made up of serving myself. And you said, I want to go to heaven. And Jesus said, I want you to go to heaven. And so you said, give me the card that gets me to heaven and I'll keep walking on this road. But this road ends in hell. It doesn't end in heaven, no matter what card you're carrying. Jesus says, if you want to go to heaven, you have to get off this road. You have to choose to let me put you on a different road that goes to a different place. I can't walk this road and walk out salvation at the same time. Does it make sense? Salvation is an exchange. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Do you know that a life of self and comfort will not give you joy? A life of self and comfort will not ultimately give you joy. And subconsciously, though, we think it, because our culture is so pervaded by this idea that happiness is when I get a nice house, whatever nice is to you at the different levels. Once I have a nice house, and I've got a nice TV, and I've got all the nice comforts of life, and I can come home from work, and I can just kick back, and I can enjoy myself, and I can watch good movies, and follow sports, and I can have fun, I can go on nice trips. We are subconscious, our culture is, has bred that into us, that this is what happiness is. And so we think, if I chase after trips, and not, is there anything wrong with going on trips? Not at all. If any of you want to send me and my wife on one, we'll happily take it. <laughs> is there anything wrong with having a nice house? Absolutely not. But are we living for leisure? Are we living for trips? Are we living for houses? Because if that's what you're living for, it will all, it, it, subconsciously you think that's where happiness is, it will leave you empty. It might take a year to find that out. It might take a couple of years. It might take a few years. But it will leave you empty. And if that is what you're pursuing instead of Jesus, that isn't what salvation is. See, many Christians have just taken the American dream. Everyone in our culture is pursuing this life. Leisure, trips, nice stuff. They're all pursuing it. And what we've done is we've just brought Christianity and put a Christian label on it and said, we can chase that dream too, but just go to church and believe in Jesus while you do it. And that isn't what salvation is. Salvation is I'm leaving that path. I might enjoy. God may bless me with some of those things. 
on the other path, but I'm not pursuing those things. I am pursuing wholeheartedly, my life is for one thing, to love and serve him. And that's what salvation is. It's a choice to give your life to him and to serve him. And I could show you many examples. I mean, you look at the life of the Apostle Paul. When he got saved, did his life get easier or did it get harder? Did he pursue a life of comfort after that? No, it was a radical change. My whole life is for Jesus. You look at the great men and women of the faith throughout history, the, the uh, George Mueller's and the Amy Carmichael's and on and on, who gave up everything in order to help orphans or to change countries or to bring the gospel to far, far places that do not know Jesus, whatever it was, whatever the calling was for them, they gave up everything to serve Jesus. And in that serving Jesus, they found joys that you cannot find on the path of just pursuing comfort. See, this path looks, it's so attractive to us because it's easy and it looks stress-free and looks happy, but in the end, it's so empty. You can't experience high, high joys on this path. But when you give up everything and you follow Jesus, you can experience joys. That's what Paul said in Philippians. I'd give up all the stuff I've given up. I'd gladly do it again for the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ. That's salvation, recognizing that he is the prize. And now that I realize he's the prize, I gladly give up everything to follow him. That's what the choice to salvation is. I'm not just choosing to ask him to forgive me. I'm choosing to say, I'm going after you. And in that is joy and life. And out of that comes newness of life. So if we keep going here in Romans, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Isn't that amazing? I mean, we talk about this when we do the baptisms. And that's what this is. It's a great baptism passage. But when you get baptized into Christ's death, it's out of that, in order that. We get baptized into death, we die to the old life. We die to the old goals. And we take on new goals. My new goal is not to pursue comfort and leisure. I may enjoy some of those things from time to time, but I'm not pursuing them because I made a decision at salvation because that's what salvation is. I made a decision. I am now living to serve the King of Kings. And in that decision to die and to make him Lord of my life, out of that comes newness of life. Now let me just say this. This is, again, another reason why so many Christians, there's these incredible promises in here about being set free, about the fruit of the Spirit, about the power of the Holy Spirit. But how many Christians in our culture do not exhibit any of those things in their life? No power. No fruit. No experience of God. Well, are the promises in here not true? Or are we missing something? And the answer is, we're missing something. See, because we haven't taught people that getting saved is a lifelong decision to die to yourself and follow Jesus. So we tell people, get saved. You got forgiven of your sins, and you're going to heaven. We just told them those two parts, not the part about dying. So now we continue to live for ourselves, and we wonder, why is there no power in my life to be changed, to be different? But newness of life comes out of death. When I put Jesus in charge and seek after him, it's sometimes painful. It's sometimes the most painful thing to say no to the self, to say no to the old Adam is sometimes extremely painful. Sometimes extremely painful over a period of time, but it is only in saying no to the old Adam and putting Jesus in charge out of that spirit power begins to come into my life. And that's where newness of life comes out of, when Jesus is Lord, when Jesus is master. And again, this is not, I just want to emphasize here, this is not about perfection. 
Because we're not going here back to a work salvation. We're going to a mindset, a decision. Does that make sense? You're going to fall many times. I fall many times. We all fall many times. Thousands of times in your life, depending on how long you live. But it won't take long to get to thousands if you're anything like me. So I'm not saying here that when I give my life to Jesus, I've just taken on the burden of living a perfect life. That's where the gift of justification is so amazing. I'm in right standing with God in spite of the fact that I'm not even close to perfect. But it does have to do with a decision. I've made a decision to put him first. And yes, I'm going to fall many times. And yes, I'm going to mess up many times. And yes, I'm still weak. But I made a decision, and I'm walking in that decision now, which is Jesus is in charge. I'm not taking the easy way out. If he calls me into ministry, whatever, I'm not even just talking about vocation. I'm talking, we're all called to ministry. The fact that that's even shocking to some Christians shows how much we never figured out that this is about death. That we thought there would be a couple of paid people who would be ministers and the rest of us would just live our lives and go to heaven. It just shows how, how absolutely backwards we've gotten the Christian life. We were all called to give our lives to him and serve him. And so it's out of that that the newness of life comes, but not perfection, but I've made a choice that I'm not going to take the comfortable way out. When he calls me, I'm going to love people. I'm going to minister to people. Yes, it's going to be stressful. Yes, I'm tired. Yes, I don't always feel like loving people, mentoring people, serving God, using my gifts for his, for his kingdom, all sort of stuff. I don't always feel like it. I don't always feel like I have enough time. I don't always feel like I have energy. But this is what it means to die. I'm actually living for him, not myself. And I'm going to fall many times. I'm going to be not perfect, but I made a decision, and my decision is final. I'm serving him. That's what salvation is. It's a decision to serve and follow him. And then there's tremendous power in this. For if we have been united with him in a death like this, like his, and notice the if. If, if you got saved without making this decision, that's why your salvation is powerless. If we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. And this has a future sense and a present sense. There's a future sense in which if I die with him and put him in charge of my life and I make my life about serving him rather than serving myself, yes, in the future, I will be raised to life, new physical body, all that amazing stuff. But there's also the present sense, which is that I get resurrection power now in my life as I put him first. But do you see the if? Many Christians are not being united with him in death, therefore they're not experiencing resurrection life. If you have been, we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self, and by the way, old self, it's fun to, you know, the old self, oh, that old self, blah, 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 and we don't like him. But the old self is the thing that just makes you always want to seek your own pleasure, your own leisure, your own comfort over Jesus and everybody else. He's actually, you know, the old self is really, I was going to say good looking at times, not really good looking, not in the physical sense, um, but he, he's attractive. The, the thoughts that come from your old self are the ones that you really, oh, I just, my life would be a lot easier if I just went down that path. That's the old self. But we know that our old self was crucified with him. That's getting saved, is crucifying that old self. Was crucifying, crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. You want to be set free from sin? Die to yourself. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also 
live with him. Now, I love that word there. You will no longer be enslaved from sin. And I also love how it says there in verse 7, has, thy, has been set free. There's a tension here that I want to point out. There's a tension. There's a sense in which, I mean, you look at the past tense here. In fact, if you go to the next slide there, Darlene, I want to show you, even look at the, the old self there in verse 6. Our, we know that our old self was crucified, okay? There's a sense in which this stuff has already been done. When you make a decision to follow Jesus, not just the decision, I want to be forgiven, but you actually make the real decision, which is, I want to follow you, which includes then forgiveness. When you make that decision to give yourself to Jesus, there's a sense in which at that moment, your old self is crucified with Christ. And it's already done. And there's a sense because of that that you have already been set free from sin. You have already been been set free from the enslavement of sin. But of course then, there's this ongoing sense, and we're going to look at that more in, in, my, in our next message when we get to Romans 7. We really get into this tension between I still sin, but I'm set free. But just for the purpose of now, there's this sense of it has happened, but then there's also this tension that we don't always see it happening in our everyday life. And depending on the type of bondage you have, some of you might be sitting here and depending on what you're coming from and what you're struggling with, sometimes these bondages have buried themselves so deep in our psyche, so deep in there, just ruts of old habits of thinking and feeling, it may take years and years and years and years. Well, you'll give your life to Christ and it's like, I thought my old man was, and not my dad. Um, I'm pointing that out to me the other day. I actually prayed at the end of a service that God would kill my old man. And, I, and then someone said, are you sin? No. I'm like, the old self. I'm trying to say old self, not old man. But um, there's this sense in which your old self was already crucified, but now you might have years and years of walking along, and this thing was buried so deep in your psyche that you continue to experience these sinful desires and attitudes. And, and so the question is, well, what, what's going on there? And again, we're going to look at that a bit more in Romans chapter 7. But here's the thing you need to realize. We have to live in this tension that we ha haven't always realized this freedom yet. But there's great encouragement in knowing that it has already been done. Because the devil will come to you. See, whether God sets you free in one second or whether he takes 10 or 15 years, when a million years from now into eternity, they're both going to look the same. You ever think about that? Like once we get a little bit of perspective, sometimes people get so overwhelmed, I've had this temptation for years, what's the matter with me? They don't realize that fast forward a billion years, because you, we're all going to be still alive in a billion years. Because we're going to live for eternity. Fast forward a billion years. 10 or 15 or 20 years still just looks like this. Still just looks like a snap of the finger. So whether God does it in a second, or whether he does it in 10 or 15 or 20 years, it, he's, he's done it. So you say, well, why would he sometimes drag it out for a bit? What if God knows that it's going to take you 10,000 times of dying to a particular temptation to really teach you what it means to rely on him and trust in him. Would it be worth it? What if he knows? What if he already did it? He said, when you gave your life to follow Jesus, not just to receive forgiveness and go on living your own life, but when you actually gave your life to him, that my life now belongs to you and I'm going to serve you for the rest of my life. When you made that decision to actually give your life to him, that's what salvation is. That moment he says, I crucified the old self. 
It was already done. You can take great encouragement from it because what that means is it is inevitable that if you continue to walk the path, the fact that it has been done means it is inevitable if you continue to walk the path that you will eventually realize his power in your life. It's inevitable because it's already been done. But you say, well, why do I have to keep walking it for a while? Well, what if it's going to take 10,000 times for God to teach you to really trust in him? If he did it just like this, you might just go, that was great, and you never learned to really die to yourself and follow him. So he says, actually, in your case, it's going to take 10,000 times. It's going to take 15,000 times. It's going to take 4,631 times. I don't know what it is. But you're going to have to, day by day, take this same thing and go, I died to it again today. Jesus, it hurts me so bad to say no to this. I want it so bad. I don't know what to do with it, but I leave it with you again. Would you fill me up and I die to this again? And in that continual dying over and over and over again, he draws us deeper and deeper into himself. And in this continual dying, we are baptized into Christ's death. Day by day, we die again, and we die again, and we die again, and we're baptized into his death. But out of that, we find over time, resurrection life comes into us. And through death comes a new spirit, comes a new attitude, comes a new heart. And over the course of years, we find new strength to resist temptations that used to overwhelm us. Through death, through being baptized into his death. But we can take courage. The whole time we're walking this path, we can take courage because even if we haven't realized it yet, it has been done. And so if I carry on the path of dying, if I carry on the path of following him, it's inevitable that I will eventually realize what he's already done spiritually. And that's exactly when we need to ground ourselves in these truths of Romans because the devil's going to come at you with condemnation. And every time you're still struggling with this particular issue, and he's just, he's just nailing you. You're useless. You never really got saved. You've lost your salvation. It's over. You're, you're da, 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 and he just pounds you, pounds you, pounds you, pounds you. And it's then when you have to come to the Word of God, because that's the objective truth that you can anchor yourself in. And you don't judge yourself by your feelings, and you don't judge yourself by what the devil's throwing in your thoughts. You judge yourself by what it says here, and you say, I have made a decision to follow him, and I'm not turning back. And as a result, I know my old self has been crucified. And yeah, it's still there right now because God's teaching me something, but eventually it's going to be gone. I'm not that person the devil says I am. And you can take great comfort in that, and we need to feed on his word to feed us in that. But in the meantime, I want to finish with this point. Don't make your whole life about not sinning. Don't make your whole life about not sinning. See, the devil would love for you because many of us have this one issue in our lives, right? We have this one thing, anger, some character issue, lust, whatever it is. We have this one thing, and we would love to be over it, and we go to God, please take this away from me. Please take me, this away from me. And the devil would like you to define your life by your struggle against that. So every time you fall into that, the devil comes and says, you're useless, you haven't grown, the Holy Spirit's not at work in your life, you don't love Jesus. And he would love for you to focus on that one issue, but here's what Jesus would love to tell you this morning, and that is that your life is a whole lot bigger than one issue. And the Christian life is not about not sinning. It's about serving God. It's about loving people and loving Jesus and being used by him. So if you let the devil define your whole life by this one issue, you're going to be stuck but we need to give our life to Jesus. We need to ground ourselves in the word and say, I'm going to die to that thing again today. And yeah, I'm not perfect. So I, yeah, devil, I screwed up last week. 
but I'm dying to, I'm dying to it again today, and I don't care if I have to die to it 10,000 more times. I've decided to follow Jesus, and I have no more rights. You want to you know something again? I said it before, but I'm going to say it again. Some Christians get mad at God when their struggle carries on. They get mad at God, and the fact that you're mad at God when your struggle carries on shows you haven't died because dead people don't have rights. Whether it's an internal struggle or whether it's an external struggle, when you get mad at God, and it's okay to tell God your feelings. I'm not saying we can't tell God our feelings or be honest with him. But when you're upset with God because the struggle isn't leaving, it's because you haven't died yet. When you die, you don't have rights anymore. And then you say, because I've heard people say, I'm mad because God hasn't taken this temptation away yet. What? God owes you something? You messed your life up so bad over many, many years, and now he owes you to take it away in one second. No, no. He wants you to learn to die. Death means, Lord, if it takes me another 5,000 times of saying no, and every time it's super painful, I'll do it for you because I love you. And now I'm not going to spend my whole life every day obsessing about this one issue. I'm going to remember that actually life is a lot bigger than just not sinning. I'm going to spend my time loving people and loving God. And that's actually what Paul tells us to do next. We jump to verse 13. He says this, Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but... So that's the part about turn away from sin. But life is not just turning away from sin. It is presenting yourselves to God. Present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. It's not just not sinning. The Christian life isn't just defense. Keep the bad things out. It's offense. Let's do good things for God. Offer your body, the members of your body, your hands, your mind, your feet, every part of you, offer it to God as an instrument for righteousness. I mean, if you compare two people and they both have an issue that they want to overcome in their character or whatever, and one person kind of obsesses over that, they both go to church, they both believe in Jesus. And one person kind of obsesses over that issue and he kind of just lives for himself. Like he goes to church and he believes right things, but he just works his job and when he gets home, he just, whatever. He just spends his life on himself. He pursues leisure. Again, it's not bad to have leisure, but this person, I'm not talking about having leisure, I'm talking about pursuing leisure. And so he's a lot by himself He's a lot on his own. What's going to happen to him long term in terms of the power of the Holy Spirit working in his life? Now you have a second person over here. And this person decides to offer their body as instruments of righteousness to God. Did you know, like, what, a, what a great picture. That salvation is, my body's not mine to just do with it whatever I want. I'm actually offering my time, my energy, my body to God as an instrument for him to do stuff with. And this person has a mentality like this. Not that they never take, not that they never have some time off, that they never take a vacation, that they have leisure. But this person says, I'm offering myself to you to serve you. And so whatever that is, maybe they listen in prayer and God gives them some kind of service opportunity to do in the community. We have people who do that, that just, you, you listen to God and you take on a hockey team or you go on city council or whatever it is and you take on some kind of a thing to serve God. Or you take on a cell group and you feel totally inadequate, like you're just totally scared of your wits. I'm not worthy of this, but I'm going to take some people under my wing and love them and encourage them and, and try to build into them as best I can. And, and maybe, you know, you have kids or whatever, and I want to I serve. And it's not about being overly busy. There's a, there's a fleshy place to go there too, but my life is not to just spend on myself. It's to spend on Jesus. So, yeah, I don't really like kids, but I, I have some, so I'm going to help serve. And I'm going to minister. And yeah, I'm tired sometimes after work. I don't really feel like doing it. And I'm a little scared and I feel inadequate. But oh yeah, 
I didn't get saved to live for myself. That's what salvation is. I'm dying to myself, and I'm not just living for comfort. So you have one person who, yeah, they're sometimes tired, and yeah, ministry will be a sacrifice, and it will actually bring stress sometimes. But I'm going to live this life that's sometimes a bit tiring and sometimes a bit stressful. Who, in the end, lives a fuller, richer, more joyful life? This guy might have it easier some evenings, but this guy in the long term is going to experience more resurrection power in his life because as you pursue Jesus and not just focus on your one issue, as you pursue Jesus and love others and love God, it's in the loving of others and of God and serving and not living for yourself that resurrection power is flowing into your life and you're going along and you're just living this full life, seeking Jesus, ministering, loving, serving, doing community, all that sort of stuff. And you just suddenly realize it's just a different life. Joy is building in you. Old temptations over time are weakening. And you're becoming a different person. That's the resurrection life coming into a dead person. And it's not a one-time fix. Because if there were one-time fixes, then Paul wouldn't talk about being baptized into Christ's death. Life comes out of dying and serving and giving. Jesus said, it is better to give than to receive. So here's what I, how I want to end this. And then the worship team is going to come up. We're going to sing a song. And then don't forget, those of you who want, we're at the Retreat Training Center. Q&A is going to be right after. But I just want to listen in prayer for just a moment. And I want to just ask the Lord for each one of you here. I can't apply this. There's, you know, over a thousand people here right now. I can't apply it to each one of your lives, but how does the Holy Spirit want to take one thing? So I just want to ask the Holy Spirit, what is one thing that you have for each person of this message? What is one thing? What does it mean for me to die? What does it mean for me to give my life to you? I want you just to write it down, whether it be on your, on your cell phone, on the back of a card in the front of you, in your journal, whatever you have with you. We're just going to listen for a moment, and then the worship team is going to lead us in a song. Lord Jesus, for every person here today, we don't want to waste our time what is one thing for each of us that you have for us to take out of this message? Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your promise that when we die and put you in charge, serve you, you promise that we have been set free. For those who are carrying heavy burdens here today, Jesus, in that death, in that suffering that they are walking with this week and this month and this year and whatever, Lord Jesus, I pray that life would just spring up in them powerfully. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Southland Church. For more information or to download this and many other messages, please visit us at myselfland.com.